If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Anne Wojcicki, co-founder and CEO of 23andMe, to help people access, understand, and benefit from the human genome and fundamentally change healthcare in the process. Anne co-founded 23andMe in 2006, three years after the first human genome was sequenced. Prior to founding 23andMe, Anne spent a decade on Wall Street investing in healthcare and felt frustrated by a system built around monetizing illness instead of incentivizing prevention. Anne focused on empowering people with direct access to genetic information. Under her leadership, 23andMe now provides the only personal genetic test with FDA authorization to deliver health information directly to consumers. Anne is a pioneer in the direct-to-consumer DNA testing space, and her vision has allowed 23andMe to provide people with unprecedented access to genetic information. Through its research platform, 23andMe has brought personalized medicine directly to millions of consumers. Anne graduated from Yale University with a BS in biology, and with that, I want to welcome somebody I've looked up to for a long time. Let's welcome Anne. Welcome, Anne. Let's just start from the beginning at what is 23andMe in your own words, and what are you building? That is shockingly not a super simple question, but I think what people know us for is we are the leading direct-to-consumer genetic testing company, a way for you to sign up and learn about yourself, your ancestry, as well as all of your health, your genetic health side. I think what people don't fully realize about the company is the, the ultimate mission is like to give you the information about you, but actually have us crowdsource and discover like, what does the genome mean? So I'm, I kind of get just like incredibly excited about the two aspects. One is like really inspiring people to get access to their own genome. And then two, the fact that we're on this research odyssey that like we are going to be uncovering and figuring out the mysteries of the human genome, as well as like the genetic sequence for life. What was the aha moment that led you to say, it's time for me to go do this. When I saw the human genome get sequenced and saw people coming out with that potential of like, you know, we are going to be able to change how we diagnose, treat, and prevent all human disease. It was like, well, sign me up. Like, sign me up today. Like, where's my genome? Like, I'm in, I'm in, I want it. And more and more, as I spoke with individuals, I saw it was just going to take time. Um, it was slow. There was a lot of debate about how it was going to happen and I saw this potential of like what Silicon Valley was doing, that you had, you know, web 2.0, you had social, you could suddenly say, I'm going to, you know, give people access to their own human genome. Um, Illumina had just come out with the technology and I have the ability now to crowdsource research. So it was kind of an amazing opportunity to bring all of that together. Can you go back and explain what genetic testing looked like before you launched? What did it look like back in 2006? Back when we launched, you had some of these articles coming out about people paying, 
like well over a million dollars to get access to their genetic information. And it was like really one-offs and you had, you know, the Craig Venters of the world saying like, I'm going to, it's my genome. And we paid $10 million. And so it was very expensive and it was for the elite. Part of the strategy that we had was to say, we're not going to actually give you the entire genome, but we're going to give you the pieces that are known to vary between humans. So humans are 99.5% the same. So we're looking at the variable regions. And that's where you can look at things like eye color. Like there's a mutation that's highly associated with blue eyes versus brown eyes. Like you can start to look at these, you know, specific point variants and see, tell people what they have. So part of it was we chose that technology. That technology had just evolved. It had gotten cheaper. And um, and then, like I said, you know, the web really enabled us to launch this and to be able to have crowdsourcing um, platforms like that, that mentality of like having large amounts of data and being able to pull it all together was, was suddenly feasible. I actually wanted to dig into exactly that, which is when you're testing first, I mean, you, before you got started, it cost millions of dollars. Almost nobody could afford to do it. What were the key elements in you being able to make that cheaper? What could you influence and what could you not influence? We came with a model, like part of it is our business model is different. Two things, like we are a layer on top of Illumina. So Illumina has really done an amazing job of bringing down the cost. And then we had other, like, you know, we work with LabCorp and they run the test and, you know, the people who make the kit or a gene, like being able to push on all those prices. And like part of those prices also came down as technology got cheaper. Um, and, and all frankly, also as volume went up, then you were able to actually push that down. But I think as a business model, and being direct to consumer, we always focused on accessibility. You know, we wanted this to be something that we could have everyone get access to. And our business model was focused more on like, how are we actually going to keep our customers engaged? How are we going to do research? How will we actually be able to eventually do drug discovery? How will we be able to do research partnerships? So it was really focused more on a low margin product for consumers but it's going to then, you know, focused on the volume. And if you look at most other healthcare products, they are low volume, high margin. What were the hardest parts in those early days? Just give us a tidbit of one, some of the times that you really said, oh my God, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get past this. Were there any even? Yeah, listen, we're still, we're still in that. <laughs> it's interesting because one of the things I've really... I care a lot about is having a direct relationship with my customers. And it's really controversial in the healthcare world. And most aspects of your healthcare don't function that way. You always have an intermediary of like who's paying, who actually makes those decisions. One of the most controversial aspects of the company, which is part of what inspired the regulatory issues in 2013, was that we're direct to consumer. Because right now, healthcare is very much of a gated industry. Like you have to go to a doctor. You know, it's definitely one of the areas that I'm most focused on, you know, that I advocate for. So in those early days, we launched and the first day we sold a thousand kits. And then after that, it dried up and we sold like 15 to 20 kits a day. So that's not a sustainable business model. That was like one of the biggest aha moments is like we had to show people why, 
Like, why do you want this information? Like, why do you care about your genetic information? And frankly, that's something that people are still questioning. Like, why do you want your genome? So the ancestry story is relatively well told now, but health is still coming. Like people in pockets know about it, but people are not necessarily always as transparent about saying like, oh, I found out that I have a, you know, the BRCA variation and I'm higher risk for breast cancer and I'm getting a double mastectomy. Like people don't talk about that as much as they talk about Neanderthal risk or, you know, like, hey, I found a new relative. Like, like that's the stuff that's like super fun. But the health side is really life-changing. And that's more and more what I'm focused on. Like the future of the company is on genomic health. Like how do I help my customers truly get genetic information that is woven through all aspects of their care. And in prevention, in treatment, in all of your medications, like your genome, like personalization is key in all those aspects. So that's what we're really focused on in the future. And I'm sure that you have truly hundreds, if not thousands of stories that you have been told where you've changed somebody's life. Just for fun, we'd love to hear a story that you really, really held on to that kept you motivated uh, that happened because of 23andMe. We just had a dinner, actually. We have we have a full-time person who, like, all she does is collect stories. That's awesome. There's so many. And there's so many, like, really, really wild ones about um, your health. I mean, one of the first stories that we ever got was from somebody... Um, where we had to, we gave him a kit. We were at the TED conference. He got a free kit, and he found out he was carrier for factor five mutation, which is um, associated with blood clots. And he was just having knee surgery, and he'd gone into knee surgery. He told his physician that he has this factor five mutation. Said, "Okay, it's good to note." Um, and then ten days post surgery, which is when you're usually out of the window for having a complication, he felt chest pain. And the doctor said, if I didn't know that he had this factor five variant, I probably would have just said, like, come in later, like, you're fine. Um, but because I knew he had the factor five mutation, he came in, did a chest x-ray, and he had a pulmonary embolism. And he was like, you saved my life, like, right there, like, because I wouldn't have done anything. And the doctor was really clear. He's like, you say, like, everyone should have this, especially pre-surgery, everyone should know you know, it's a life-changing experience for people. And so like the product in the company, like we are very mindful, like when we're developing a product, like we're super mindful of that, but it is, um, you know, we really do have a significant impact on lives. And um, I'm very proud of that because I think we like really helped save a number of lives and improve lives and like added transparency for a huge number of people. If we go forward a decade, what are the things that are really obvious to you that will happen that maybe everybody who doesn't stare at this this category all day long um, maybe hasn't thought of. This is my hope. I can't necessarily say this is going to happen, but this is definitely my hope. And Walmart, Amazon, Google, all those companies run on data. You know, my Netflix experience is fabulous because of the data, and my son's experience is totally unique to him because of the data. And you get data in, you constantly learn, you customize. We're so used to having a personalized experience now, and all of that comes from having data and all of these, like the, the companies being able to just continuously learn. Healthcare is the only industry that doesn't function on that. There's been a huge amount of work to break down the walls and force data sharing. 
The last administrator for the Center for Medicare Services, Seema, she like really forced for the first time that there was going to be movement of your medical records and that you would be able to have access to it. And Apple has like single-handedly like been able to go and with HealthKit and say like, you can get access to your medical records through Apple now. So you're starting to see this like slow sludge of movement (laughs) of health data. And so it opens up the doors to be able to have different groups collaborate or to have um, individuals start to crowdsource. Like imagine the world where everybody who has lupus says like, hey, I can pull all my data and let's create our own kind of crowdsourced platform. Like that's what we want to do in health. And like you see, you know, health is the ultimate equalizer of humanity. Like we all suffer. Like we all have health issues. We all have these problems. So it's amazing. Like when there is a bone marrow drive and everyone jumps in to, you know, support, or if there's like a Red Cross and and during a war and like everyone like stops for the ambulance, like, like health is something everyone can relate to. And we should tap into that to say like, let's, let's actually solve this. Like we'll all benefit from it. So the fact that you start to have data moving means that you're going to open up a door to actually have better predictions about people and better insights into treatment. So for example, right now, like I'm about to turn 50, there's all kinds of things I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, do I get a colonoscopy? Do I get mammograms? Like that's a very one size fits all kind of approach. Like even my lab values, like are my lab values good for me? Like, I don't know, like there's all kinds of data out there about, you know, in different populations, like lung function can be different. Your like white blood cell count could be different. Like there's all kinds of things that can vary based on the individual. So like, what is it that's right for me? And I see a world where you're going to be personalized, where they're going to come to you and say, Alexa, like based on how you live your life, I see how much you sleep. I see how much you're eating, you know, at McDonald's, like based on all these things, like what your risk factor really is for type two diabetes. And this is like likely the prediction, like that's what would be really inspiring for people is to have some of that or be able to tell you as well, like, Hey, Alexa, if you just got up three times a day, every time you do a podcast, you go for a five minute walk, you're going to, you know, lower your hemoglobin A1C score, your risk for type two diabetes, and you'll feel better. Like that kind of data, I think would be really, really helpful for people. So I think that there's a personalized, like a true personalized medicine world. And I I hesitate in some ways to use that word because I think everyone uses it. And it's like, it's a, it's like a window dressing. Like it doesn't, it's like people talk about machine learning and AI, like, oh, we have machine learning, but they don't have any data. Like they, like, it's just all like, I'm just always wary when people use those words, but I think that there's an opportunity to really have a world where you have good insights into like you as that person, what really are your risks and what really is your likely outcome and how should you really be managed? I think that opens up the door then for you to not have adverse events of doing something you didn't really need to do and for there to be much better compliance because it makes sense to you and for you to have much better outcomes and really ultimately like prevent early deaths. And if we go forward a decade out, what are the things that you feel like people need to be very careful about ethics wise? Or are there anything that like is forefront of mind for you that you feel like the entire field just needs to be careful about? There's a lot of interesting opportunities that comes up as people understand the genome and and as CRISPR 
becomes really a, a, a well-developed technology. I think the reality is like there's diseases like cystic fibrosis, which is like a you know single point mutation, and we still can do very little. So like things are not moving super fast, like they're moving, but they're not moving super fast still. So I do think that the ability to potentially apply CRISPR to embryos and embryo selection is absolutely one of those areas that is worth that societal debate about like, what should that look like? You know, and like, we were even talking about this in house is, you know, people who have hereditary hearing loss, you know, and you can screen for that, you know, should you screen for it? And so, you know, I think that there's good debates there. And I think that the reality is, you know, there is a, a world of, of ethics and it's not, you know, 23andMe ICS is like, we're in that world of like information enabling. And I do think that there's some of the applications of the technology specifically around fetuses, like how should society think about that and how should they manage it? You know, people worry, like, like there's always the privacy question, like, oh, you know, is the government going to get my DNA? The reality is people do drop their DNA. Like it's all over the place. Like if I go, when I, I went to Starbucks this morning and like I threw it out at a trash can and like my DNA is on that cup. There's a world where it's like that is happening. And I think it's a world like people have to be aware of. The reality is like the world's coming where you're going to understand your genome. Like the opportunity for good is so overwhelming, but I do think that there has to be some of those debates and they have to be debates that are not just in an academic setting, but like, like we need to engage society really on that. And part of the way that you engage society, frankly, is like, let people get access to the technology, understand what it is, and then you can evolve. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. And I want to quickly transition to you. Um, and I just want to maybe start by saying, what the heck did your parents do to get it right? Um, your sister, you obviously started 23andMe, which is a smashing successful business and obviously has decades of success ahead of it. Your sister, Susan's the CEO of YouTube. Your sister, Janet, is a professor of pediatrics. If we rewind, like, what's one thing your parents did that all of us parents should copy? I'm channeling my mother here. Um, <laughs> she, and I can, I can validate, like, some of this is true. So she gave us a lot of freedom. I mean, in some ways, listen, in this world, it's called freedom. I can say, like, she also ignored us a fair amount. <laughs> I mean, she helicoptered in the appropriate ways. Like if I was going to do something that was like life-threatening or really stupid or like make it like a very grave, bad decision, she would be like, she, she would jump in and my mom could jump in with force. Um, but my mom gave us a ton of freedom. Like when I was in kindergarten, you know, like I went to school by myself. Part of how <laughs> my best friend and I met the first day of kindergarten. And I remember her, like, she looked me up and down. She's like, I walked here by myself. 
and your mom walked you here. <laughs> I was like, whoa, are we going to be competitive on day one? There was kind of a culture. I grew up on Stanford campus. There was all kinds of crazy people who just pursued their passions. Like they just loved what they did. There was a fair amount of independence that, you know, the, that was in that community. Like kids had freedom. And I think like that ability to push on decision, make, like make your own decision, like get that sense. Like I think every day, like I love being an adult so much. Like I just love being free. And you want children to have that sense of like, oh my God, it's like so amazing to make your own decisions and there's consequences and like learning that there's consequences. I love that. I love that so much. One of the things I I really admire about you and I also... (laughs) I share, which is, um, you've said before that you're super impatient. Um, by the way, I would not want anybody except somebody who's super impatient at the helm of thinking about the future so that we can get, we can go as far as humanly possible. How have you learned when to flex impatience and patience as CEO monitoring this business? One thing I've had to learn is that there's some problems that you have to just invest for the long term, And then you have to think about how do you motivate people? If you know it's going to be 24 months of a journey, then how are you going to motivate people for 24 months? But, you know, and it is hard because we live in like a TikTok world and, you know, people looking at, you know, short term, like there's so many crypto successes, like, wow, I want, like, I I want to see this result right away. And the reality is in research and health, like it takes a while. Um, And even our drug discovery initiatives, that's not a fast moving industry. To me, I look at drug discovery. I mean, it goes back to some of your other questions. Like what's most exciting for me is like the ability to use data to see, can we have better insights? And then being more impatient, then can I actually potentially see shortcuts? Can I see ways that, um, so for instance, like in drug discovery, um, one of the biggest bottlenecks is patient recruitment. So like one of the shortcuts that we potentially have with 23andMe is we have over 13 million people, over 85% of consented for research could I recruit people from 23andMe? Like that could definitely help shorten timelines. So being impatient helps you be innovative. What are the things that you do to stay sane? I like problem solving. Like I remember I would get to college and again, this is like a very easy problem. Get to college and be like, I have to set up my room and everyone else is going out and doing other things. And I was like, I will stay up for 36 hours and I will get everything done and everything organized. Like in some ways, like my brain can't function until I feel like I have a solution and I'm just totally fine with that. So I feel like if I have a real problem, like like after our FDA warning letter, like I remember I sat in this desk um, for days and I did not move. And I just called lawyer after lawyer after lawyer and just was like getting feedback, like everyone I knew in regulatory, just getting feedback and, and input. So I have an intensity, like when there's a problem, like I really love to dig in deep and solve it because then I can't function well if I don't have a path in my mind of how I'm going to go forward. But there's not always problems of that level of intensity. And I think one of the most important things that I ever learned actually from Sergey, was the ability to go to sleep knowing that your email box is still full. And at some point, life gets to be so crazy, you have to recognize, like, I could always be doing more. And you have to just realize, like, you you need to strategically do what's most important. And so then in my mind, it's about, okay, like, what are the most important things I need to do? And what's that impact? So like time management, I would say for CEOs, 
one of the most important things a CEO can figure out is their time management. And I joked in the early days of 23andMe, we didn't have anyone who did communications like press. And I said, I was like, well, part of it was like from a time management perspective, I need to focus on on the company. And like, if I had somebody who was managing press and communications, like then they would pick up the phone and they would like try to like make me do talks and do other things. And I just like didn't. So it was much easier to just never get that call. And so it was, <laughs> it was, it was my form of time management at that point. But like, you have to be really selective and it's really, it's hard. Like when there's, we have so many things coming at us that it's hard um, to always make those choices, but it's the most important thing a CEO can do. I love that. And I'm going to transition to this last part of this interview here, which is the quick fire round, even though I want, I want actually like a whole day with you. I want to transition and just, I'm going to ask a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What is an interview question that you like to ask somebody for a role that's going to be very important, very close to where you're getting to the core of who they are? What do you ask? What's an interview question you love? I mean, I think one of the most interesting things to always ask people about is what do they regret not doing? Oh, I love that one. That's a really good one. I want to hear the biggest pinch me moment to date at 23andMe, where you literally came home or you just said, I can't believe that thing actually happened. What was it? Oh, I think um, I think there's two days. One, um, we did something called the DNA Day, where we dropped our kids to $99. And how I mentioned that we used to sell 15 to 20 kids a day. And on that day, we sold over 17,000. Wow. And it was like that first time where I was like, oh, I knew people would like our product. I just knew it. <laughs> um, and so then I'd say the second moment was when we got our FDA authorization because it was so clear, like the everything was stacked against us. And so the fact that we were able to come back um, and get it was so amazing. What motivates you? I mean, having an impact on the world, you know, feeling like I'm doing something that, um, has an impact on others. I'm highly motivated by helping other people. Last two questions here. Is there a quote or a motto that like has stuck with you? I love Diane von Furstenberg. And like she has the necklace that says in charge. It goes back to that, like like my thing with the kids and independence, like you're in charge of your life. Like you have to act like it. And it's part of also why I'm always interested in what people regret because it's a question is like, do they know that they're in charge of their life? And I find a lot of people don't. You just changed my parenting for like my whole life right there. <laughs> you really did. I'm like a changed parent after that one sentence. That's pretty cool. I'm going to remind my children that they are in fact in charge of their own lives. Minus like when, you know, they're throwing each other down the stairs because they're toddlers. Last question. If we fast forward two years, I'd love to just get a sense of what do you think office is going to look like? How many days a week, if we fast forward two years from right this moment, do you think people go into offices? And I'll focus on like white collar workers who go, obviously many categories go into offices every day or go to work every day. But what do you think this evolves to look like? I think you have to have some in, in office time. I think you can't have culture on Zoom. That's my takeaway. I mean, look, I think maybe some people can, but it's just, not, it's not a real culture. Like when I think back on some of the best moments of 23andMe, it's because of like the funny things that happen. It's not in a meeting, but it's the, you know, it's the community. And so like, I think to have a real community, you need to actually see people in person. 
First of all, Anne, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody, if you want to learn more, please check out 23andme.com, download the app, and you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And Anne, on behalf of like all of humanity, keep going. We're so grateful. I'm going. We need, we need everything that you're doing. I honestly feel like you're in any 1.5, which is what is fascinating because you're 16 years in here. Um, but just we're rooting for you. And we're sincerely so grateful for everything that you're doing on behalf of everybody. Thanks, Alexa. Such a pleasure. <laughs>